We pray that if there be someone lost in the building today, that you do the work that you can do, Lord. Save the sinner. Forgive us this day, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, when Sherry came into Sunday school, she complained that this morning, uh, outside of her bedroom window at 6 o'clock this morning, that uh, she kept hearing somebody talk. That is the habit that I do. If I'm speaking to someone, I'm usually pacing. So I was pacing back and forth in the parking lot, talking to Jeff Brown. And I regularly do that as I prepare sermons. I find myself walking laps in the sanctuary or walking back and forth in the hallway downstairs. As I read verses 19 through 24 and was asking God to just help me understand this text my mind was drawn back to this place long before there was a building, when it was just a grass lot, when there was a big oak tree sitting right here, and we would play tag, chasing each other in the parking lot. We loved playing tag here, but it was something that we would always do when there was enough distance in between the person who was it and us who was being chased, we would find ourselves taunting the person that they could not get us because the distance is too great. You know, we at times enter into our lives and we find ourselves as we face spiritual warfare, we grasp the things that are closest to us trying to bring about a result or try to yield help in our spiritual lives. Paul here, starting in verse 19, is petitioning the people in Ephesus who are all these miles away to pray. Prayer is an amazing event. It is an amazing opportunity it's an amazing exercise that we can enter into the prayer closet and through the Holy Spirit, our prayers are energized and reach the throne room of heaven, which is a distance that we can't even measure or even begin to explain. That I can be sitting in my living room and my wife will holler to me, Come closer. I cannot hear you. And we're just a room apart. Yet, God, while I'm sitting in my office, or while I'm in my bedroom, or while sitting up here today, or even as we prayed over the offering, that we can offer up words to God. And he hears us. He hears us. This is the reality of prayer. Paul transitions about how he prayed for them. He came into verses 17 and 18 talking to them about how we should have on the armor 
when we pray. It's important to have on the armor of God when we enter into the war room of prayer. But now, in verse 19, this man who's chained in a Roman prison, this man who's chained in a Roman guard, is now about to offer to the church at Ephesus what he would like to have from them on his behalf. And it is without a doubt Paul knows the power of prayer because he says, and when it comes to me, my request is that you pray for me. There is no distance too great for God to hear. And notice there's something here in particular here that I, I love about this text. We kind of do this on Wednesday nights. For us who gather here on Wednesday nights, we gather together. We offer up requests to each other. Uh, the reason we even do this act where we offer up requests to each other is not that so that it's not so that we can answer each other's prayers. It is because we are a unified body of believers here at the Wind Place Baptist Church. And whether we acknowledge this or not. Your ministry and my ministry are intertwined. We have a shared opportunity to participate in each other's ministry through prayer. Through your prayer for me, through my prayer for you, we can participate that God will give you the strength and the boldness to fulfill the calling which he's put upon your life. How do we know such a thing? Because Paul says, as for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. This is Paul's request to them. Pray for me. Don't miss this shared opportunity to help me in ministry. When we come here on Wednesday nights and we offer up our prayer request, my prayer request is that we just don't pray for the prayer request that's offered up on Wednesday night, that we engage in each other's life and share the opportunity for the matters that are presented. Paul is saying here in verse 19, I need two. Could you imagine the situation, as we said, in Rome? In soon time, he'll be standing before Nero, chained to this guard. As he made the end of this letter, as he is bringing to a conclusion this phenomenal prison epistle, he says, as for me, and this could be understood as to say, and pray for me on my behalf. And for me, what do you think Paul's going to say? And for me, what? Freedom. And for me, what? Comfort. And for me, what? Food. That's not at all his request. Matter of fact, Paul's request has nothing to do with the physical at all in regards to the chains, in regards to the discomfort. Paul's sole request 
is not that his physical body would be set free through prayer, but that through prayer, his tongue would be set free. That through prayer, through the prayer of the people in Ephesus, that while he's in this situation, while he's preparing to stand before Nero, while he's chained to this Roman guard, that God would give him the words to speak with boldness as he shared the gospel message. Paul's mind was that he was in a situation, and in this situation he wanted to be victorious. And he knew he needed help. So his prayers that others would pray for him. So his prayer was that others would pray for him. First John chapter 5 and verse 14 and 15 says, and this is the confidence that we have in him. And this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hears us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. It is God's will in all situations, I believe, without a doubt, that we speak boldly of him. It is God's will in all situations that we preach the gospel. And this is why Paul knows that this is a matter of prayer because it is a matter of prayer because John already exclaims, we can enter into prayer with confidence if we ask in his will. So he says that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly. This really should be the prayer of all of our prayer lives. This should be the prayer for us at our jobs. This should be the prayer for each other. This should be the prayer as we engage our family, as we engage our friends, as we engage this world, that God would give us the strength to make us bold as we proclaim this gospel message. Paul didn't want to be bold about his innocence. He, he didn't want to be bold about his rights that he had as a Roman citizen. He didn't proclaim the entire time in six chapters to the people at Ephesus about just how innocent he was. He, he negated all of those to say, I have boldness in this message. I'm not worried about Miss, I, I'm not worried about my innocence. He's worried about missing the, the window because of fear. Where I could preach the gospel. Partner with me on that, he says. It is a shared opportunity for each and every one of us. Also, I think this, Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, I love what he stands and says here. And for me that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and yet we find ourselves in a situation here. This man who was basically a powerhouse in ministry for God, and yet he is here facing the same weaknesses that we do. 
How many times have we found ourselves engaged in ministry, preaching the gospel, or maybe having the door opened where we know where the spirit moves within our heart? Here's an opportunity. And we walk away in silence. This fear that we feel, this fear that we feel that we aren't going to give the gospel track or that we're not going to take and stand or that we're not going to say this to our family members because if we say it, it may cause problems. That same fear that you felt and we feel is the same reason that Paul is saying, pray for me because I need boldness. I want to open my mouth to all regardless of the results, regardless of what they may do to me, regardless of what others may say. I want to make the gospel known. Pray for me is how our confidence will be emboldened in this message. We oftentimes also with this thought that Paul is asking for prayer, pray for me. Pray for me that I'll be bold. Pray for me that I'll stand. Oftentimes, on, even on Wednesday nights as we gather here, we find ourselves in situations that we are afraid to raise our hands and ask each other to pray for each other. Or will you pray for me here because I'm struggling? Because we're scared that we may somehow promote that we're weak or people may view us as we're weak. We are weak. That's what we are. We are 100% fully dependent upon the Lord in order to have an effective Christian life. If we know our weaknesses, listen, Paul planted the church in Ephesus. He taught the church in Ephesus. He ministered there. They wept when he left. They cried when he left. As a matter of fact, now that he's gone, this whole conclusion is to let them know how he is because they're worried about him. And yet, the same people he taught the word of God to, the same people he preached to, the same people he planted the church with, he's asking them to pray for him because he's weak. It is the reality to us all is that don't ever get so caught up with the thought process of how others may view us if we ask others to pray for us for help, that we don't ask others to pray for us for help. Paul asked that they would join him in this ministry to help him make known this mystery of the gospel. I want to show you a couple of things here about prayer. Paul said, as for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. This statement alone tells us something very powerful about prayer. You know what it is? Prayer annihilates fear. Pray for me that I can open my mouth boldly. What we have in prayer has the ability to annihilate the fear that restricts us from speaking this gospel message. 
He wants to make known this mystery of the gospel. This word mystery comes from the word, it's mysterian. It refers to something that was hidden in former, time, former times, but now is made known. Paul is saying that he wants to make known this mystery of the gospel, meaning to many of the Jews, to many people. And it was still, I mean, in a former time, it was partially revealed, but now it has fully been unveiled. And Paul's prayer and desire is to proclaim that there is a full, clear picture and a way of hope through Jesus Christ. Paul, in this verse here, in verse 20, he says, for which I am an ambassador in bonds. You know, you can't help but when you think about the ambassadors that America had, is that we just lost a couple years ago those ambassadors overseas. They lost their life on behalf of being an ambassador for the United States of America. We have ambassadors all around the world. The position of an ambassador is, is that they go to a foreign land that is not their own. They go away temporarily to a foreign land to spend time away from home. They have to learn the language, learn the customs. But even though they learn the language and they learn the customs, there's one fact that never changes. They do not belong there. They are clearly representatives. They are just there to live. They're not there to live to bring back reports to us about how to adapt to a foreign country's lifestyle. They are there to carry out their mission that was given to them. They, in order to carry it out, they have to live there. In order to carry it out, they learn this language. And to carry it out, they've got to function in the context of the people. But they are never to forget that it's not, it's where the, it's not where they belong. What good is an ambassador who doesn't represent the homeland? Paul said, I'm in prison. And though I'm in prison, though I'm falsely accused, though I'm chained to the guard, even this situation is not going to cause me to falsely represent my king. I am an ambassador, but I'm just an ambassador in bonds today. I'm an ambassador but my situation will not cause me to speak, speak ill of my king. I'm an ambassador, and even though I'm in prison, I just want God to give me the boldness to continue to fill, fulfill my call, my job, my assignment, my mission in this life to proclaim the gospel message. I am just an ambassador in bonds. You know, the grand problem that we see to this today is that the Bible says that our citizenship is in heaven. The problem is, is that we have a generation of ambassadors of the kingdom of God who act just like the people in the foreign country. We have a generation of people who proclaim the name of Christ and said they're here as ambassadors that recognize this isn't their home. They recognize the mission. 
They said that they're here to fulfill the great commission. They recognize that the upper takers one day coming, but the problem is in the midst of all this proclamation, they have fallen in love with the foreign country. Paul said, I will never forsake my call. I will never forget that I am an ambassador in bonds. I know I am not from here. I can't stop talking about home. I have been telling everyone in this country about how to get to my home country. And it has not been accepted. Nevertheless, I am still this ambassador in bonds. His physical condition did not stop his heart's desire. How do we know this? How do we know that Paul's physical condition never took him off course? Remember when Paul wrote to Philemon when he talked about Onesimus there in Philemon chapter 1 and verse 10? He said, because I have begotten in my bonds Onesimus, even in imprisonment, Paul was still preaching the gospel. Physical life situations did not change how he preached the word of God. In 2 Timothy, Paul said that he suffered as a criminal and was bound. But what did he say? What was the counter to all of that? The, that he says he, he was bound and he was treated as a criminal. But he ends the verse in 2 Timothy, I think it's chapter 4, that the gospel was never bound. But he says here, but that ye also may know my affairs and how I do. Um, Tychicus, Tychicus here, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord shall make known to you all things. He was a beloved brother. He was a faithful minister. He was with Paul there in bonds. Paul was physically bound, but this beloved friend, this faithful minister, was bound in ministry to caring for Paul. He cared about Paul. I love and thank God for people who care about me. I love that people care for my ministry. I love that people pray for me. Paul is saying here, I'm chained here, but I have one who loves me. And I'm going to send him to you so that you may know my state. It is one thing to have somebody love you. It's one thing to have somebody care about you. But it's another thing to have somebody who knows exactly what you're going through. It's another thing to have someone who knows when the burdens of ministry are settling down upon you and you're struggling and you're praying and you're weeping and you don't know what to do. This was this Tychicus here for Paul. You know, over the last several months, things have been in a state of flux trying to navigate through different situations. And I'll come down here in the mornings and make phone calls and sit at my desk and pray and try to figure it out. And I don't know who it is. But every once in a while, I'll come down to my desk and I'll find a picture. 
And on the back of this picture that's drawn, I find a note from somebody just trying to encourage me. I'm encouraged that people would take time to care for me. I'm encouraged that people will take time to let me know that they're praying for me. It is encouraging when somebody writes a letter to you and says, I'm in the trench with you. This is who who Paul is sending to the church at Ephesus. Hey, I'm sending you someone who's right here in the trench with me. He's been faithful. He's beloved. He's been here right here. He can tell you about my estate. He can tell you about my physical position. Everyone who is saved is a beloved brother or a beloved sister, but he is more than, I mean, and everyone who is saved is a brother. Everyone who is saved is a sister. But Paul is saying that he's more than that. He's more than just a brother or a sister. He's beloved. There's an old saying that people say, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. It is to say that when you're in the foxhole and things get real bad, oftentimes the group you started off with isn't the group you end with. Everyone is looking for a smooth ride, a situation where you don't experience conflict, where you don't experience spiritual warfare. But that is not the Christian life. You want to argue it? Ask Joseph. Ask Paul. Ask 10 of the 11 disciples who were put to death for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's just not ministry. But there is something to be said. We talked about this in Sunday school. About how we must be assembled together. And that the gifts that God gives us and how we encourage each other. And how Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24 and verse 25 teaches us about provoking each other unto love and good works. But where is this happening at? In the church. All of these things are happening in the church. And we, whether we see it or not, we are gathered here together for the sake of ministry, unified. And we should be able to say of each and every one of us, we are brother beloved or sister beloved, that we are in touch, that we are engaged with each other's prayer requests. I don't know if in Sunday school you do prayer requests. We do. We write the prayer requests down so that when we get home, we can engage in the spiritual battle on behalf of our other brothers and sisters. But here, not only is he a brother in Christ, he is beloved, he is a faithful minister. This faithful minister, this word minister, is the same word that we get the word deacon from. He is a faithful diakonos. The official translation for that is one simple word, servant. Now, to the world, when you look at this, these two words, faithful and servant, this is not a noble tag to be put upon your name. Oh, he's a servant. 
the Lord looks down upon this. But in the kingdom of God, there are two tags that have some of the greatest nobility. It is that they were a faithful servant of Jesus Christ. This was not no passing speech that Paul passed by. He was actually saying, this is exactly what we all should be, faithful servants to the Lord. We, in this titles here, we should covet them for ourselves. Paul said, I sent them for a special reason. I sent him for a special reason. In verse 22, he says, whom I sent unto you for the same purpose that you might know our affairs and that he might comfort your hearts. As I said, they, they wept when Paul left Ephesus. They loved him. He, he was their beloved missionary. This man who they loved so dearly, they now hear what? That he's in prison, that he's chained, that he's now in these bars, and now he doesn't have freedom. What is he going to say to what is going to happen? What does Paul have to say for us? What is the official uh, feedback from Paul there in Rome? Something strange has happened in my home this year that I have never expected. My wife and my daughter have, I don't know if I should say fallen in love, but have found an extreme interest in the sport of football. Now, this is foreign to me because I grew up my whole life not really watching sports. I've watched more football this year than I have in my entire life. I want my time back. But it's amazing to me that something that I never watched before can now get me so stressed out that I find myself up pacing back and forth in the dining room. She's telling me to stop pacing. And my opinion is I didn't even want to watch it, but you made me. Now all I care is, is he going to get the first down? And I find myself correcting the quarterback with all my years of experience of about two months. But not too long ago, several weeks ago, back when I was out being sick, a guy was hurt on the football field. And the doctors ran to the field and a, a, a silence fell upon the field. What is going to happen here? And as they were all crowded around the football player who was laying there on the field, there was a silence trying to figure out what was going to be the assessment this man who was laying on the field. And finally, after a few minutes, the stuck his, or the, the football player stuck his thumb up in the air. And when he stuck his thumb up in the air, the crowd erupted in joy. It was the sign that though he had taken a hit, <laughs> underneath all of that armor and gear, he was all right. Paul sends this back to them in Ephesus when he says, so that you might know my estate. It's not one of weeping. He's not saying, woe is me. He's giving them the thumbs up. 
Listen, I've still found myself underneath the armor of God. My prayer is that as you pray for me, I may be taking some hits, but I'm still good for the cause of Christ. Pray that God will give me the strength to preach the gospel on his behalf. That souls will be saved. That, that lives will be changed. Paul would soon stand before Nero. Is this cry, is this it? Is this cry, is it all over? Now he's going to go home and be with the Lord. Paul said, thumbs up. I'm hit. I'm still playing, but I have not forgot. In verses 23 and 24, he says, Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ with sincerity. Peace be to the brethren. We are in this world. Matter of fact, this text caught me kind of off guard this morning, just reminding myself of everything we discussed on Wednesday night. He said, peace be to the brethren. We might find ourselves engaged in situations that are uncomfortable, but remember this, Paul's emphasis is that we are not at war with the brethren nor should we be at war with the brethren. It is peace be to the brother. We are at war with the prince and the power of the air and all of his uh, affiliation in verse 12 that we read about. Peace be to the brethren. Love with faith. They are hand in hand together. Love with faith. This is the same thing that Paul told the church at Corinth, right? You could give your body to be burned. You could, you could literally become a martyr for the name of Jesus Christ. You could literally give all your goods to feed the poor. But if you don't have charity, I mean, if you don't have love, you're nothing more than a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Paul said, love with faith from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all to them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Paul's closing of this whole matter is really based upon this one word, sincerity. Grace be with them all that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Why, why, why would you say that, Paul? Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ. That makes sense. But he adds it, doesn't he? He says, in sincerity. It's easy to say that we love the Lord it's easy to, oh, yeah, I love the Lord, I love the Lord, I love the Lord. But if it was acted out in sincerity, then there would be a manifestation in your life of the love that you say you have in your life. Love with faith. Faith should produce a loving action from us. 
And if we profess that we love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is a different, uh, differentiation, I guess the word would be, maybe, maybe not, uh, to say that we love the Lord and then to love the Lord in sincerity means that we act upon it in our everyday lives. Well, how do we act upon this in our everyday lives? Well, then you just work the verse in reverse. How do we say that? We say that by engaging in these opportunities to pray for others. We engage in this opportunity uh, in your opportunity and my opportunities that we have every day to preach the gospel, that our prayers can squash the fears in our lives. We even go in reverse that our sincerity is not only that we pray for others, but that we pray for ourselves and that when we enter into prayer, that we put on the whole armor of God. And then insincerity means that we understand how this wicked demonic system works in which we live in. And because we know this and we want to serve the Lord in sincerity, we must protect our spiritual law. Therefore, we put on the whole armor of God. If we're sincere about it, we will. When we're not sincere about things, if we're honest with ourselves, we often forget to do them or we don't do them at all. But if it means something to us, if it's emotionally connected to our hearts, if it's rooted down inside of us, we act upon it. Why? Because it is in us. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to preach your word, Lord. I thank you for the grace, Lord, that you have given me, Lord, and the mercy, Lord, that, that to have the opportunity to preach, Lord. I pray that you will hold my voice out for another service, Lord. Strengthen us today. May we leave here encouraged, Lord. Praise in your name. Thank you for all that you've done in our lives, Lord. Thank you for the visitors today. Next, Lord. God, do a work in their lives, Lord. They may be the next deacon, the next preacher, the next pastor, Lord. Hey, who knows what they may be? The spouses to our children. God, do a work, Lord. We give thanks to you for allowing us to even have the opportunity to minister in their lives. We give thanks to you for all that you've done in Jesus' name. Amen.